This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Risa and Curry McKenzie of Hail and True Cider Company. Please take a moment to subscribe to be notified when the most recent episode has been uploaded. Feel free to reach out to Hail and True Cider Company and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. We are here at Hale and True Cider Company, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I am joined by Risa and Curry McKenzie. Welcome to the podcast. Thank we you. finally we finally get to sit down. This has been months in the making. We met at Pour the Core at the um, at the Philadelphia uh, Navy Yard, and was really uh, excited. Enjoyed your ciders immensely. We've been back a few times to try some of your limited releases. We'll try some of those today. So, get, tell everybody how did this get started? How did Hail and True come to be? So. It really, it really came to be um, through a love of fermentation. Uh, so when Reese and I moved to the city in 2011, uh, we got really into fermentation. So we started with kimchi, sauerkraut, kombucha, uh, and I really just fell in love with the science behind it and the whole process. Um, and then the story goes that we were at a night market on South Street, and we tried a local cider from Freegon Farms. Gotcha. And it was dry and delicious, and I'd never, we'd never had a cider like that before. Um, so we thought, well, hey, we love fermentation. Why not try fermenting uh, apples? And so we did that first batch, and pretty much from there, uh, Risa said, we're gonna start a cidery. <laughs> now, now the idea, or the, uh, in, in the curiosity by fermentation, how did that start for you? What Was there a story behind that, too? A, a kimchi consummation or something? Yes, actually. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember? Yeah. So uh, we had always been into food and beverage and cooking and trying new things. And we were actually at this huge food festival in Brooklyn. And it was not super well run. There were terrible long lines everywhere but there was one place that really didn't have much of a line <laughs> so we hopped in there and it was a kimchi stand wow okay. and that was the first time that was probably back around it was around 2011 as well was the first time that we ever had kimchi and we were just like this is the most delicious thing like we started seeking out korean food figuring out how to make it reading up on fermentation and it just really combined a lot of things that we, we really love. So we're really talking about how many years prior. So you said 2011. And when was it that you discovered the Freecon Farms cider? What year was that? I think 2014. 2014. So four years, three years go by. You're, you're, you're you know, experimenting with kimchi and sauerkraut and all these different things. And then you discover cider. Now, did you seek anyone out to help you? And, and become knowledgeable about cider. You, you both, as I've gotten to know you, have very detailed analytical minds, and I know you want to do things at a high level. That, that's my perception of how that Thank goes. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So, so how did the how did that the, the next start of where you went from kimchi to cider, and how did you start producing cider? Sure. So uh, the first batch, really, uh, we went to Wegmans, bought some juice that did not have preservatives 
uh, and just did a one gallon batch based on like brief online research. Um, but so that was the start. After that first batch, we ordered books online. Uh, I started reading about cider making. Uh, you literally jumped into the deep end of the pool. You're ordering equipment, books, oh yeah. everything. Yeah. Every, every, everything. We ordered everything. We bought an Apple press. We bought, uh, my dad built a scratter for us. So that's something that, um, it's a machine that crushes the apples prior to pressing. Uh, and yeah, so we really, we really went off the deep end after that first batch. Uh, but for me, when I get interested in something, it always goes back to reading up on it. And when I was reading this uh, cider making book that I bought, I did not understand half, three quarters of it. There's but a tremendous amount of science to it. And, and what is really exciting for me in the conversations we've had is the detail of knowledge that you both have about cider making now. That it's not just, hey, I just watched a YouTube video and I bought some equipment. You really want to understand the science behind it. Yeah, the, the, the science is, yeah. is key. I'm a learn by doing, not a learn by reading person. Like Carrie reads every instruction booklet that comes with every new thing we purchase. I need to just start playing with it. So I have to, to mention, like, one thing we did early on was we called up Freecon uh, Farms and we said, hey, is there any opportunity for us to come out and volunteer? You know, we're thinking about starting a cidery. We would love to just kind of, like, see how it works and what you do. And their initial response was, no one has ever called us and asked to work for free. Okay. <laughs> they were, like, caught off guard, but they were extremely welcoming and were wonderful mentors to us early on and just really explained so much um, which was really important as at that point we were kind of still navigating like do we really want to do this you know what does it actually look like um, what were some of those conversations like when you say hey Freecon we want to open a cidery can we come over and work for free where did you know that this was going to become not just a passion not just a, a home curiosity. When did you realize this was going to become a business for you? Well, Carrie mentioned earlier that uh, pretty much after the first batch, uh, that first batch of cider that we made, I have always wanted to be an entrepreneur and was kind of always like throwing out ideas, looking for the thing that you know we were passionate about enough to make it our business. We thought um, about a food truck, a uh, yeah. kombucha shop, a... Uh, like bakery, bakery. cheese making. Like yeah, I, cheese. I knew I wanted it to be something in food and beverage, and I wanted it to be something really tactile. Like it's definitely satisfying to make right. something on. delicious. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, it's a really incredibly satisfying feeling. So cider just seemed to align with, you know, all of the things we were interested in, and be the thing that we were passionate about enough. So. Carrie was not 100% sold after that first batch because he also, you know, didn't necessarily always want to be an entrepreneur, but I... Actually, I never yeah, did. <laughs> putting it lightly, but I was just like, had my feelers out, and um, so pretty much after that first batch, I was like, this is the thing. I'm going to start thinking about all of our home cider making through this lens and see how we can build it into a business plan. So I'm assuming that the first batch that you made was good, you liked it, you enjoyed it, or was it the process of making that you enjoyed, knowing that you could move on and get better at it? A little bit of both, Okay. Um, but it, it definitely turned out really good. I mean, it was just a fermented cider, uh, it was sparkling, it was refreshing, it was delicious, uh, and yeah, I mean, we did not know what we were doing. Uh, and I think that's the funny thing about cider making is it is easy, in a way, to make a good batch of cider. But what's hard is making good batches of cider uh, consistent. Right, because you're dealing with the apples, you're dealing with the scientific process of it. What are some of the challenges that, you, that make it consistently difficult? Well, so you always have to think about the apple first. And... Uh, Cider making is a, a seasonal, uh, seasonal job. 
Um, so apples only have a very short time where they're harvested. Uh, and what we've learned over the years is that we really like specific varieties of apples. Um, so in all of our cider, we're trying to get at least five to six different varieties of apples uh, in that blend of juice uh, to create complexities in the final product. Um, so during the summer, there's much less availability of good apples. Um, so you really have to plan ahead. Um, and yeah, so there's definitely some difficulties surrounding that seasonal aspect. Um, other things are, uh, I mean, learning how to clean the proper way. Uh, so cleaning Clean your equipment, cleaning the yeah. equipment, cleaning the, the, the apples or yeah, uh, the... yeah mainly the equipment. Um, there's a big difference between clean and sanitize. So you have to clean and sanitize everything uh, prior to doing anything, uh, putting any cider in there. Um, so that's definitely something that has a huge learning curve. You know, starting out at home, you think, well, let me just put some dish soap in this carboy. But then you learn, you know, there's, uh, there's steps that you have to take to ensure that um, the cider will come out good in the end. So, I'm, I, There's so many questions that came out in my mind as, as I'm thinking, where do you take this? Because we, we talked a little bit about it, uh, of being entrepreneurial. You, Risa, yes. Curry, you, not so. But where, where did the next, how did the next steps progress from this being something you did at home, you enjoyed, you learned to become this, this establishment, this great tap room that we're in right here now? Yeah, so once Carrie was like, okay, if you want to start a business. I trust you. We have to get good at making cider. We have to learn to make really good cider before all else. Um, so we made cider at home for almost five years before taking the next real tangible step to opening. Um, and making cider at home meant, you know, experimenting with different varieties and different blends of apples, pressing our own juice, you know, bringing it back to Philadelphia um, and fermenting it in our apartment. And then as we got more and more serious, you know, we began working on the business plan while we were doing these things, brainstorming, what we might want to do, uh, names, concept. I think the biggest step for us Cornell. Uh, was Cornell. Uh, yeah. So we had kind of hit a wall, I think, in cider making where it was good, but it, I didn't think it was good enough. Uh, and there was, at the time, there was only one course on cider making available, and it was at uh, Cornell. Um, so it was a week-long course, uh, and there was a waiting list, so we had to sign up for the waiting list and sign up right away. Um, and Reese and I both uh, took off from our jobs, took a week vacation, went up to the Yeah, people were asking, hey, where are you going on your vacation? Yeah. We're going to school, yeah. Yeah. right? But it was, really, it was really more of a passion destination for you. Yes. And the Finger Lakes, Cornell and the Finger Lakes, is not a bad place to go no, on your was, vacation. Yeah, I mean, we tried to make it, you know, a really fun, enjoyable thing. And it was really cool. It was also probably one of the first times we were in a group of people who were like-minded and all really interested in cider or looking to start a cidery or work for a cidery. And it was very, very cool to have that experience and get to talk to people about the different stages they were in and learn from each other. And for me, it was more so uh, the teachers. So we had, um, the class was led by a winemaker and that really influenced my approach to cider making which is uh, very much derived from a winemaking perspective. And I mean, when you think about it, cider really is not that much different than wine. It's the, uh, cider is the fermented juice of apple where wine is the fermented juice of grapes. Um, so when you look at it through that lens, you really should be approaching cider making as if you were making wine. What were some of the, I mean, you touched on the experience of your instructor being a winemaker, but you, you said that you kind of hit a wall. What, what was the wall that you hit, and how did this help you get over it to produce the cider that you wanted to to create the business that we're in now? Sure. So some of our batches, we would you know, go through this whole process of getting the apples, crushing them, pressing them, taking them back to Philly, fermenting. Uh, and then sometimes they would, the batch would turn out amazing. And then other times, 
it would have flaws in it. Um, like for instance, uh, there would be sulfur present, so it would smell a bit like rotten eggs, which is a very common flaw in cider. Now does that happen from the skins or, um, or any kind of uh, damage? How does the sulfur become present? How does that affect your cider? Yeah, so when it, it all comes down to the yeast and the cider maker's job is to make yeast happy. That's our, our only job. Um, so the way that you do that You need is, a t-shirt that <laughs> says, I make yeast happy. That's it. That, I mean, so uh, what we really learned is you need to create conditions where yeast can thrive and flourish. So when yeast become unhappy, for instance, uh, during fermentation, they'll often run out of nutrients. Uh, so during about a third of the way through, usually they'll have eaten the available nutrients. Um, and it's very important to add more nutrients back into the cider um, in order to finish out the fermentation. So that, that was really uh, a big step in our cider making journey was figuring out, you know, what additions do we need to make? Uh, we had always come at it as let's add as little as possible. And we still do that. But there are certain things that you need to add to ensure that you have uh, consistently good cider. Your, your journey when you create the cider is to get the true essence of that apple, of the cider, versus too many of the flavors or uh, ingredients that don't necessarily, you feel, belong in that cider. I, I, get, I get a sense of that when we talk about your ciders and the, the pureness and the, the, the simplest part of your cider. Well, so we want to have a really good foundation. We want all of our ciders to be, you know, drinkable and delicious at their base, you know, not rely on additions as a crutch, but we are definitely modern cider makers where we enjoy adding other things to our cider. We want the apple to come through and that's extremely important to us. And we like to, you know, if we're adding other flavors, we like to call them like thoughtful additions and layers of flavor that enhance the apple, you know, don't cover it up. But we definitely, you know, we have ciders in front of us here with rosebuds and strawberry, and we have ciders with honey and hops. Um, we think that that diversity is really enjoyable for us and for the consumer. So we are all about respecting the apple and wanting it to shine through, but we like to play around because it's delicious and fun. Risa, you made a comment, modern cider maker. Mm -hmm. What is, and what do you see your role as a modern cider maker? So there's actually uh, categories of cider. Heritage and modern are two big ones. Um, heritage cider makers would typically only use apples um, and only use certain variety of apples that are maybe antique cider making varieties available here in America or there's even more cider apple varieties available in Europe, England, France. Um, and then modern cider makers are generally using culinary apples, uh, which are apples that are more widely available locally. So our approach to making cider is concentrating on what is locally and seasonally available and being like an active participant in supporting our, our local food system and local agriculture. So we work with an orchard called Weavers about an hour away that we love. We have an amazing relationship with. He like, we work with him on the, the apples and the juice blend that we create. Um, but we're, we're working with, you know, modern culinary apple varieties like uh, Gold Rush, Stamen Wine Sap, Jonah Gold, Granny Smith, Golden Delicious, Macintosh are all apples that we've used, which are apples that you know people have heard of. Um, they're not specifically for a cider, but we can make a delicious cider using these modern apple varieties. And then also the idea of adding additions is a modern trend, not the heritage trend as well. Take us through, because you talked about going out to an orchard and bringing back juice or bringing yeah. back apples. Take us through that experience for you. Was it just saying, hey, on the weekend or this week, we're going to go visit these, um, these orchards? How did, you, how did you do that process? Because you were really, the, the concern was, we want to find these quality apples. 
consistent quality apples and from an orchard that can continue to produce them. So we actually uh, were introduced to Weaver's Orchard through our CSA, uh, which is Philly Foodworks. Um, so we were members of Philly Foodworks, and at certain times, Reese and I have actually also freelanced for Philly Foodworks. Um, so their apple provider was Weaver's Orchard. And we approached the owner of Philly Foodworks, and we emailed him, and we said, hey, uh, would it be possible to get uh, 300 pounds of apples? Uh, can you tell us what apples are available? And he was like, yeah, I guess we could do that. Um, so we would get a list of what apple varieties were available. And we would research those apple varieties, um, think about you know, the levels of sugar, the levels of acidity, uh, and we would try and create a blend of apples. And then we would order those specific apples. They'd be delivered to the warehouse in Philly. And I would go pick them up in the car and we'd drive them to my 300 parents' 300 pounds of apples in your car. Yes, 300 pounds. It, it definitely <laughs> weighed it down a bit. Uh, and we'd take them to my parents' house and we'd hold these pressing parties where we invited all of our family and friends and we would just spend the day uh, pressing cider. And it, it was really such an enjoyable experience and, and something all of our family and friends bug us about. Uh, when are we doing the next pressing party? <laughs> What, what I really take from that is the partnership aspect. From the inception of this is an idea that can become a business to now you're inviting partners like Weaver, but they never really had that, that vendor or that ability to be a vendor for a cidery the way you were looking to do what you were doing. So you really, between you and Weaver, you're really looking to build, you're building a business together to what they're doing and to what you're doing. Well, so the relationship has changed a little bit. So we um, we were initially getting our apples through Philly Foodworks, which is like community-supported agriculture, farm share. And we, because we have always been really interested in supporting local agriculture, had worked with them before. Once we started scaling up, it was very important to get the direct introduction okay. to Weavers. And that relationship has just grown so much, and we have a very close relationship with the orchard. But there was a time where we were working directly with the CSA, and then once we started getting more serious, we started working directly with the orchard. That's, so it, it was it's just, just making, an expansion of your business, yeah. and that's fascinating. I think a lot of people... You know, cider's new for, for many people. They don't think of it the way they think of the brewery or the homebrew mm -hmm. sector, but they really need to start paying attention to what ciders and cideries are, are, are producing. I, I think one of the things that came out of what you had mentioned is the different types of apples that you're looking and the reason why. I never thought of cider before similar to a mash build where you would talk about a rye or a bourbon or a whiskey because they play on each other flavor-wise and they play on each other for interactions again mm. and what you're mm -hmm. going to produce. The thought I had or the question I had is how did you go about choosing a yeast and how does that interact with the cider and, and what does it produce from there? Sure. So like I said, uh, after we took the Cornell course, my uh, perspective on cider making really changed to uh, approach it as a winemaker. Um, so that being said... Uh, we use a white wine yeast for all of the ciders that we made. Early on, um, we experimented with many different yeasts. Um, and each one had such different results because the yeast is, is such a huge part of uh, the end result of the cider. And so how we settled on a white wine yeast was actually through a company called Anardis. They're in California. And... About seven years ago, they noticed a trend in cideries, and they thought, hey, there, there are no cider yeasts available right now. Why don't we start researching this? So what they did was they actually made cider there um, and would use all their current wine yeasts, and they figured out which ones work best uh, which, with which apples. Um, and so eventually they came out with this book of the best yeast for cider making. Um, and we were introduced to them at CiderCon, which is the annual conference of cider makers. And so 
when we uh, were looking to start making our first batches, uh, what we did, I would have very long conversations with an artist um, talking about what apples go into our cider blend, uh, how much sugar is in the cider blend, um, what is the pH level, so what's the strength of the acid. And then based on that, they were able to recommend a specific white wine yeast that would really um, be the best for our cider specifically. You've reached a point, you know your ingredients, you know the process. How did this building happen for you? Where we sit right now? Yeah, so at the end of making cider at home for five years and working on our business plan, you know, that it's hard to really feel finished with a, a business plan and like you're finished learning all you can about making cider. But we had a really good family friend who had started a business and we were visiting and he kind of gave us that shove that we needed to start looking at physical spaces. Um, so he, he actually gave me a deadline and he was like, go look at some spaces. I want you to see at least one by August 1st, you know, and, and I think it, this was in at the end of June or something like that. So at that point, we began to engage with a couple of brokers, figuring out if we could buy or if we needed to rent a space. Um, but really, that first at least six months of, like, looking at spaces was just getting a feel for what was out there, how we could set things up, uh, what the costs would be. It also really influenced our business plan, you know, right. the space, because we were looking at certain spaces that would be much more industrial, where like a tap room like this wouldn't necessarily be as successful, but maybe we would uh, go about more distribution, where here we're going with the tap room model, uh, where most of our cider is sold out of the tap room. And then we do some distribution, but it's very limited. Uh, and we, we decided to do that um, based on a couple reasons. Uh, first of all, when we first walked into this space, we knew it was the space. Okay. <laughs> you just knew. Um, and the neighborhood. The neighborhood is beautiful. Um, and then the other reason is because with Cider, like you mentioned, there, there's so much education needed. Uh, so by having a tap room, we're afforded the opportunity to really educate all of our customers who come in here who might not know much about cider at all or might think they don't like cider based on what they've had It's before. all past experience. Exactly. Right? And it's, it's the sweet um, cider that you may have just had out of the bottle, not giving any of them credit for that experience that might have ruined cider for people. Right. Yeah. So it, it's really cool because on a weekly basis we have people come in here who think they don't like cider or haven't had cider before and then they're like, oh, I guess I actually really like cider. And that, like having the space to create the environment where we can introduce people to cider and be knowledgeable about it and, you know, have other things available um, has been really key in being able to grow cider's reputation and our own. Now, how did you develop the name Hale and True? How did that come about? Uh, so it, it was... You're kind of looking at each other, smiling and shaking your head at each other. So how did, <laughs> there's a story behind that. It, we spent a long time thinking about a name, and we wanted it to represent our values. Uh, so what we came up with is Hale, which means in good health and strong. And true uh, for us was a reminder to always be true to why we started this, which was a love of fermentation. Um, but the, the name actually works as a toast as well. So hail and true to drink in good health. I love it. Yeah. All right. So yeah. now I, I've never seen anybody toast anybody here at the tap room, but maybe that should become a tradition or something. I think so. I should. Hail yeah. and true to good health. Yeah. What was, you're coming up on your anniversary in April, two years? Yes. So April, is there a specific day? Um, so it'll be the last weekend in April. Last so weekend the April, in April. The, the day we opened 
is the 28th, but that's a Tuesday. So we're going to celebrate the weekend prior. What was that like for you? Now, one of the things that continues to resonate as you're telling your story is people look at you and what you have now. They don't see all the work that went into getting where you are today. From where you are now, you opened in 2018. You tested for five years. <laughs> you you kind of went through some... You're literally an eight-year, seven-year overnight success, pretty much, right? <laughs> it, yeah, it's, I mean, pre it's pretty incredible uh, to look back at, at how long we've spent building this. And then um, when we signed the lease on the building, it was actually... We opened a year after that. So we've been in this space for coming up on three years now. Wow. Now, you know, people don't think about that. I mean, if somebody were to say to you, and, and recently you talked about this entrepreneurial spirit... If I started and said to you, you're going to open up a really great cidery, you're going to become really extremely talented cider makers, but it's not going to be until, you're not going to see it until 2018. Would, would, you have, would you have stopped and held your hands up and said, well, I don't know if that's for me. You, I would have. You would have. No, I think it, 2018, I'd be like, yeah, now it's getting hard because... You know, you have to continue working really hard at it. I mean, I had no idea how hard opening a business and running a business could be. Like, you have an idea, but it's hard to really grasp it until you're doing it. And we were talking about, I think, right before we started recording, how you, you kind of just have an in increasing tolerance to stress and you get used to dealing with bigger things and navigating them and succeeding. But it's hard to imagine the, the size of those problems when you're just starting out. So 2018, yes, I had that in me. And, you know, I, I still have it in me. But it's these, you know, these first three to five years, you're continuing to just work at it and work at it and work at it. And you can't take your foot off the gas at all. No, it's not you know, like you, you have can to stop really... and say, I don't feel like doing this today yeah, anymore. Exactly. Yeah. You have to nurture it and you have to be there all the time. So it's... It, it, it's kind of still everything going on behind the scenes um, that maybe I didn't think about as much, you know, because we're open, but, you know, we're, we're still, still uh, putting as much, if not more, work into it than we were. In the those, challenges yeah. are different, yeah, uh, but they're still challenges. Yeah. Talk about that moment for the both of you when you realized you had something, oh. when you knew mm -hmm. that this was really going to be something for you? Huh. Yeah, I mean, that moment keeps happening again and again. Okay. Every Saturday, our Saturdays recently have been really busy, and like I just see groups of people I don't know come in the door, and it's just every time, it's like, wow. <laughs> like, people are like, so excited about this they just keep coming here like one table leaves another comes in like I, I it's so incredible the reception that we've gotten to what we do and the cider that we make um, it, it like blows my mind every time I step back and think about it for me it was it was longer ago um, <laughs> but I'm talking about specifically cider wise when I knew we had uh, a product. And he's like, I'm Th good at this. That we, and it was... That's, that's a really cool recognition that you're aware of that and you're aware of yourself to say, I'm really good at this. <laughs> well, I, well said I, I, I said that. He, I, to be clear, he makes all of the cider now okay. and I run the business. Gotcha. So I like to constantly, you know, compliment and show appreciation for his killer cider making skills because I couldn't do that if he if he fell off the face of the earth <laughs> we'd have no cider well it's the same <laughs> with you I mean this would not be possible at all uh, you so know what shows true to that point and, and where you've come up with this perfect name for both of you in this establishment you really make a great team there are people that find each other in their lives that are meant to do things together. Yeah. And I see that from both of you. And I think that as you start to see people come out 
on those Saturdays and they fill your, your tap room up over and over again, that's a compliment to you and how you both work together. And how, I, I think in a lot of cases, where you know what you excel at and you rely on each other to help each other get there, right? It, it's all about trust. Um, so we had to really divide the business and I trust her completely to do that whole side of it. And she trusts me to do the other side of it. Um, and one would not work without the other. Uh, but it's all about just having complete faith and trust in the other person. Um, so I think like from the beginning, our relationship has actually gotten stronger because we've learned to trust e each other even more than we thought was possible. That's a, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm just like overwhelmed. That, that's such an uplifting story and I love that. Thanks. But I, I'm curious, it's April 28th, 2018. You've been producing cider. You've checked <laughs> ah, all of your equipment. What's the front? What's that like? The first time you changed that close sign to open. What was that day like for you? It was. It's almost hard to remember. It seems surreal. Uh, there was a line. There were more people than we'd ever seen coming here for our open, opening, which we did not know what to expect, and. Uh, it was hectic. Um, I was behind the bar pouring ciders, uh, trying to talk to people, um, you know, making sure that the draft system was calibrated right and running into the back and, and panicking about how much cider I had. Uh, and it, 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 was, it was so exhilarating. Uh, there was so much fear and anxiety and exhilaration. Um, <laughs> It's very hard to describe that, that feeling. It, but it was really, really positive because we had so many friends and family come out to support us. And like after five, six years of being like, we're going to open a cidery, we're going to open a cidery. And then like, oh, it like <laughs> it's open. comes to fruition. And to have those people that we're close with in our lives here to support us, but also people we've never met who are curious about it. It was just, it, it's, we're very lucky to have like a great support system of family and friends and just to like have everyone here that weekend when we open and kind of seeing our dreams become reality. Um, yeah, there's like, there's no real <laughs> word for, for that feeling, but I just, I just have so much appreciation and yeah, it's been really, it's, it's really, really cool <laughs> to see an idea happen and everything that we had to go through to make it happen. It's just like, wow, we did it. We can do this. Like, we are a good team. Yeah. So what, the night's over and you flip <laughs> the sign from open to close. What was your first interaction when you knew you locked the door? Oh, gosh. Get ready to do it again tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, we have to do this tomorrow. <laughs> we have to do this tomorrow. I mean, honestly, Carrie and I have never worked in bars or restaurants either. So one big realization for me was like, whoa, we own a bar now, you know? And I'm, I still work a nine to five. So definitely some exhaustion wrapped up in there and just being like, whoa, we're going to be here from open to close all day again tomorrow. Um, it's really, really exciting and, and that's so motivating, but it's definitely, <laughs> there was some real exhaustion that first weekend, especially after the late nights leading up to getting ready getting to open. Getting ready to open. Yeah. Yep. A lot of energy drinks. <laughs> oh my wow. gosh. Oh my God. <laughs> I forgot about that. I don't even drink coffee yes. now, but like we were both on like <laughs> two energy drinks a day. <laughs> An Advil. An Advil. <laughs> yeah. This, is really, this has really been so much fun of a journey for you, hasn't it? It really has. It's a roller and it, coaster. And it, and it, it's a roller coaster. It's right. a roller coaster. The highs are high, the lows are low. Yeah. Um, but it's so, it's so incredibly rewarding. Like, I always think about that we're, like, living our lives to, like, our fullest potential. You know what I mean? I... I, we're not settling, you know, we are, we are making the most of what we have and what we can do. And 
that's a huge part of like why I want to be an entrepreneur and why we do this. You know, there's there's no going back when you like realize that you're capable of making your favorite thing to drink in the world. Like, <laughs> and, you, and you get to do it, so you yeah. get to produce what you enjoy drinking. So you have four standards that you serve all the time. Is that correct? So we have three, three flagship, flagship, okay, flagship ciders. That's what you call it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we have the standard, which is uh, our original cider. Um, it is just made from apples and yeast, uh, and then it is matured. Um, so that is just the purest representation of what uh, cider is and what the apples can do. Um, then we have our Hail to the Hop, which is our dry hop cider. Um, so that one is dry hop with citra hops. Uh, so it's really got prominent grapefruit notes. Uh, it's super bright, refreshing. Um, definitely one of our favorites. Uh, we also have that in cans. And then Little Sunshine, um, which is cider that's made with uh, local wildflower honey and orange peel. Um, so those are our three flagships, and then we always have a rotating seasonal on draft as well. Um, and then we also do uh, what we call the basement series. Um, so these are small batch, uh, small batches that I get to really experiment with. Kind of, you know, pretty much whatever I want to do, I get can do in five gallons, ten gallons. Um, and then we release them to the public, and it's it's been such a fun thing to be able to experiment and do these crazy things. Um, so in, in front of us, we have a cider uh, that is called Coming Up Roses. And this cider uh, came to be uh, because we got asked to participate in a rosé event um, as the cidery. And I said, well, we don't make a rosé cider. Uh, and they were like, well, do you think you could do something? And, and for me, I am... This, is, this becomes those, hey, these are new challenges. Yeah. These are new opportunities to, to see what you can do. I, I have uh, fairly strong opinions on rosé ciders in that I don't believe in them. Okay. Uh, <laughs> because rosé is a, a wine, um, and it's a specific winemaking technique in order to get a rosé. Uh, which you can't do with cider. So uh, I really had this problem with rosés, but I thought, all right, how can I get around this? Um, so what I did was, you know, a predominant flavor in a lot of rosés or tasting note is strawberries. So I thought, all right, I will ferment, uh, co-ferment a cider with strawberries. And then to really bring it all together, um, what I do is steep rosebuds in the finished cider and allow the rosebuds to steep just like tea would uh, and then take them out after five days, carbonate, and what you have is a, a really nice um, pink looking cider. Um, on the nose you definitely get the, the rose. Uh, it's it, a very floral nose. It's very floral. And the apple doesn't get lost. No. And I think that's important for you as well. And you do get that strawberry that comes through very prominently. Yeah. This, this one, I think, has a really good balance between... It's definitely a cider, but there's that, like, tart strawberry, because um, all, all the sugar is fermented out. And then you get that rose, which is such an unusual thing to be drinking. And, and you even get it in in the flavor itself of the cider. Uh, and so I'm, I'm really happy with how this came out. This is the second time I've made this batch, so I, I tweaked it a little bit from the first one. I think this one came out even better. Uh, and yeah, so I'm really, really happy with it. The flavor is, and, and I think it's a tribute to your, your focus on making cider as you would make a wine. Right. Because it really, you could, you could eat this with fish, you, you, it, there's not a lot of spiciness that you can eat this with, but th this is something you can drink and really enjoy. And the mindset is, what can I pair food with? The same way I would do a wine. This, this would be a nice complement with cheese, uh, chicken dishes, something very subtle and flavorful. But this won't get lost in that as well. The Rosé Festival was actually at... Uh 
a Spanish restaurant, Tinto, and there were there was like paella and cheese and all of this different food around, and it was and getting to drink this yeah. paired with this incredible Spanish food, we were like, this really works. Together. It really does. It really does. Yeah. I don't see it very eating doing with a food that's a lot heavy on spice, but a sure. lot of a lot of um, exciting spices and flavors in terms of um, things that are going to pop. This is a nice complement with that. So I think the next one is actually uh, a good example of something that might work with spicier food. Risa, was there something there that you wanted to also mention about that? When you were describing the cider, you mentioned that all of the sugar was fermented out. Yes. Uh, that's something we didn't talk about yet, and I just wanted to make sure uh, you kind of talked yeah, about Yeah, don't miss our, that. Our, okay, our approach to, that. This is why you to are dry a great yes. cider. You guys are a great team. Yes. Don't miss Very that. important. Yes. Um, so all of the sugar in uh, fresh pressed cider is fermentable. And a lot of people don't know that because they drink, they'll have these mass market sweet ciders and they'll think, oh, that's Yeah, where does all cider. that sugar come from, right? All that sugar comes from post-fermentation adding just either corn syrup or white sugar, whatever kind of sugar they add. Um, but the way that we make cider is that we ferment all the sugar out. So there is zero grams of sugar in most of our ciders. Is it gluten-free yes. as well? Yes. Because I think that's important. I think that was a conversation we had wanting to make sure this is gluten-free, and I think it fits that. So if you're, you know, obviously if you want something as a beverage, as, a, as an alcohol beverage, something to enjoy that's gluten-free, this is a great way to go. Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So all of our ciders are just naturally gluten-free. Um, I can enjoy gluten, thankfully, okay. um, but I, I did figure if I could make cider that I would want to drink more than beer, that maybe we would have something there. So uh, yeah, I think we did that. Yeah. So it's cool. I just wanted to point out that this strawberry rose cider has zero residual sugar. Zero sugar. And, and so it, it does, in a way, there is a sweetness to it because... Yeah. Uh, I call it perceived sweetness. Um, so you're, you're tasting the strawberry, you're getting those strawberry notes and your brain thinks, oh, strawberry is sweet. Um, so your brain is tricking you into thinking that this might have sugar in it, but in fact, all of the sugar is fermented out. From my perspective, Carrie, this is why, see, I, this is, I geek out on stuff like this. And, and you bring that perspective that we can sit down and talk about all day long. Because this is the complexity and the fun of you're not just making cider, you're tricking the brain. Yep. You know, you're you're That's going out of the way true. to say this is how we're going to keep a crisp, clean product with lots of flavor that we're going to bring to the market that people haven't had before. Yeah. You're that. That's that modern cider making that I think where we we talked about. I mean, we're in Philadelphia and you know, the cider making scene is really popular and it's becoming even more popular. And I think that's a testimony to what you're looking to keep true to what you want to do. Yes, your, your focus is everybody gets to do them. Everybody gets to do their focus, their passion. And, and yours is, is really what you're, you know, bringing out of your fermenter and, and what your mind can come up with. Well said. Thank you. Okay, so with that, as we as we work yeah. through, there's another one here, and this is uh, this is like a bright, yellowy, vibrant color to it. What is this? So this is what we're calling the royal. The royal, um, and this is something that I've thought about doing for at least a year, um, which is uh, so as we mentioned, all of the sugar is fermented out during the during the fermentation process. Um, but with the royal, I actually arrested the, the fermentation before the sugar was done fermenting out. Um, so there's a tiny hint of uh, sweetness to this cider, and it is all from the apples. So there's nothing added in here. It's just, uh, like our standard, it's just apples and yeast. Um, but what I was able to do was stop the fermentation before all the sugar um, fermented out, and then I carbonated it and put it on tap. And so that's why you'll notice it, it's definitely a little hazy as well. Um, so it, it hasn't, it's not a matured cider. Um, 
but what you'll get is uh, a little bit of sweetness, uh, a little tart, um, and it, it's really just a very enjoyable, drinkable cider at six and a half percent. Now, are there residual sugars in this? Yes. yes. Okay, so you do get some sugars that are left based on the method, as you said, you arrested. I will tell you, if you put this in a pint and you looked at it, I think somebody would think you're drinking maybe a sour or even in a way you could be drinking a lager to sure. this. And from the color presentation, you wouldn't know. And I think that's, that's interesting, again, how you can do that presentation of what you're looking at. Yeah. So what are the flavors that you were looking for with this? Um, so what I wanted, I think this does really highlight uh, the apples that went into it. Um, so there are actually only four apples in this blend of cider, um, but they're apples that are really uh, near and dear to my heart. So we have Gold Rush, uh, we have Stamen, um, Pink Lady, and Granny Smith. So four apples. This is juicy. Yes. Yeah. This, you, all right, my experience as you're explaining the different apples, I literally feel like I'm in an orchard. Yes. That I just picked an apple off the tree and I bit into it and you get the, the skins, you get the sourness, the crispness, the sweetness of the apple. This all comes through in one experience as you drink this cider. This is amazingly delicious. Thank you. I mean, that, that really is what I was going for was... To, to maintain some of that sweetness that you would get when you bite into an apple um, and then still have uh, something that is very low in sugar um, but does kind of taste like you're taking a bite out of it an really apple. It really is. You should call it. Well, it's, it's the royal, but it shouldn't be called bite out of the apple or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that could name be change. the alternate name. name yeah. <laughs> All right, so it's interesting because... You come up with clever names. So how does it work that you, how do you pick names for your ciders? How do you do that? It depends how much time we have. <laughs> <laughs> the Royal we turned around pretty quickly. But some of the other names have really great stories behind them. Um, I'm sure Carrie could also weave a wonderful story about the Royal as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, I would rather uh, tell a story about Little Sunshine. Right. Yeah. Um, so this this was a cider before we opened. We were developing recipes and making ciders that we wanted to put on tap when we opened. Um, so this was the first batch ever of Little Sunshine, and we made it in the dead of winter. And we're sitting at our table drinking it for the first time. It's freezing. It's dark. It's, it's miserable, um, and we're drinking it, and Risa says, you know, I just need a little bit of sunshine. And then we both looked at each other, and we were like, that's the name, <laughs> that's the name. Lil Sunshine. <laughs> and so this is just, Lil Sunshine is a cider that, like, when you drink it, you can't help but smile, because it's just, it's got that, the, the taste of the honey, that local wildflower honey, and the orange peel balances it out so nicely, uh, and it's just a cider that we we really love. I love, I, you know, if for any other reason beyond coming for your cider, it's getting a chance to meet the both of you. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. <laughs> and I can see why people that come here not only become really good friends and they come back again, but they know that they're going to be part of something that is your experience and your journey. And, and, I, and, I, and look, you're good at what you do. You really are. And you both are good at what you do to help produce this in a city where you're helping to introduce cider and really good cider to people. And I don't want that to get lost. And I don't want to say that over and over again. But I think in the market we're in, people have a choice. And where you are located, people have plenty of choices of where they could go and drink. But, but this is a, a place that they want to come back to over and over again because you're going to be creating some unique items. I can say that I had a little bit of the first one that we tried, the rosé. I went back to it after the royal, and what comes out of that to me is that drier finish, but yeah. it almost has a little bit of that yeasty finish to it that um, creates a whole different profile too. Sure. So when you come, you can get a flight. You don't have to drink them all together. You can go back and forth, and what that's going to produce are just some different nuances and flavor that you may not have had that first time you tried something. 
Definitely. Yeah. Uh, so we have uh, flights available. Lots of people, their first time in, they usually will get a flight of uh, our four ciders that we have on tap. Um, and then a lot of times we'll also have a fifth cider, uh, but it's a way that people really get to figure out their favorites and, and people really do get uh, very passionate about their favorite ciders. Um, and then they come back and they are loyal standard drinkers, they're loyal little sunshine drinkers. And so it, it does, uh, it makes it a little difficult for me if I ever wanted to say, replace one of our flagship ciders. Hey, we're taking that off the menu. No, <laughs> there, you're not. There uh, <laughs> might be a little bit of a revolt. Right. <laughs> well, we are in Philadelphia, so we're known to revolt now yes. and again. You also do classes where you teach people how to make cider. Yes? We do. We do. Um, so we started them about, what, a year Last ago? Last January, yeah. And... Uh, what we wanted to do, so when we started uh, making cider at home, like I said, we were running into all these, these issues where one batch would come out good, the other batch would, would not. Um, and then, uh, so we just, uh, we wanted to start a class for people that were interested in cider making, uh, and we could teach them the foundations of uh, how to make cider. So we walked them through the apples, the juice, uh, the fermentation pro process. We make cider together. Um, each person gets to take home six 22-ounce bottles of cider in the end, um, and cider that they made themselves. And uh, the classes have just been an incredible experience because people have come back and they'll bring in cider that they made after the course and share it with us. And uh, it, it also just creates such... Uh, you know, uh, loyal friends and, and customers. Uh, it's, a very, and it's a community within Helen. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what you're inevitably creating here. With that you, that you do with the Cider Course, what are some of the other events and activities that you have coming up? What can people expect just besides coming in the tap room? What are you working on now? Yeah, so community is really definitely central to us. Um, this weekend, which I think this cider might still be on tap when this podcast comes out. We, we have a collaboration with another Philadelphia cidery, and this is the first time this is happening. Uh, but we made a cider with our friends at uh, Current up in Fishtown because um, they have been there for us since day one. They reached out when they heard we were kind of getting interested in starting a cidery, and they are, you know, definitely some of our closest friends in the industry, and we kind of wanted to publicly declare, like, hey, we're friends, we want to do this together, like, by making a cider together that, that cider incorporates... cider making is about community, yeah. and, and we believe that the more people drinking good cider, the better, so there's, there's no sense of competition between us. We, we just want people, we send people there all the time, they're like oh, I like cider, where else can I go? We, we're like, well, there's a great cider in Fishtown called Current, um, and they do the same for us. Because we all want the interest in cider and the demand for cider to grow. There's still a lot of room um, for that. But, yeah, so that is happening this Saturday. The March 7th is the release, but then we made a full batch together that will be on tap at both of our tap rooms in Philadelphia. I'm sure this isn't going to be the last time that you do that. I don't think so. So in the future, yeah. I mean, what, what people really need to do is look to your website, which is what? Uh, HelenTrue.com. And you're uh, on the Instagram. Yes, yes. If you go to the news page, I update all of our events for every month. A lot of them are collaborating with other local brands that we love or, you know, we like one of my favorite things about starting this business is the, the definitely the business owner community that we've become a part of. So we have different food pop-ups here, or, you know, we make a, a cider donut with a, a, a donut maker, okie-dokie donuts that we love. <laughs> um, and you can kind of all bring each other up. Uh, so that's our, that and the courses are definitely the biggest um, lens that we create events through. But yeah. Everything is definitely on our website, on Instagram. There's an email list you can sign up for. I always try to let the email list know about things first. Um, yeah. I'm curious. Mm -hmm. It's been 
eight years now since you went from kombucha to yeah, cider? Yeah, probably, yes. <laughs> What's the future? I mean, what the entrepreneurial side, the creative side, What's the future look like for Hale and True? I want to grow the cider brand. Uh, so this is our tap room, and it will always be here as our flagship. But we really want to figure out a way to to make more and more cider, and to kind of have it reach more people because we really love our cider and believe in what we do, and you know want it to get to people outside of the immediate area. So. Figuring that out and focusing on that is definitely how we plan to grow. Well, speaking of the immediate area, if you're planning a trip to Philadelphia, if you're in Philadelphia and you haven't been to Hale and True, what's the address where we are right now? 613 South 7th Street. 613 South 7th Street. Yeah, we're right south of South Street on 7th in a neighborhood called Bella Vista. Yeah, so if you've heard of South Street and you're coming here to visit Philadelphia... It's not too far from Center City. It's easy to get to. People know where this is. Yeah. It's definitely worth the trip. It's definitely worth your time. What's I'm grateful. I really am for this time that you spent with me. And I I got to know more about the both of you, more about Hale and True. And and I really appreciate the time that we spent today. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to all the great things coming out of this cidery. I'm looking forward to more of those basement releases. Maybe there'll be an attic release and... Who knows where you'll be <laughs> the, the back of the 300-pound transport station wagon, um, however that gets to where it goes. But thanks again to the both of you. I yeah. really appreciate Thank it. Thank you so Thank much you. for having us, Rich. Yeah, we love doing this and meeting you and getting to know you. And we know we'll see you again very soon. You definitely will. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Yeah.